a little bit of a raspy voice. I forgot my water. So hopefully you won't mind that I chew on a little gum to try to keep me going here. So if uh, you'll turn with me in our scriptures this evening, we want to look at Matthew chapter 25, and we'll start in verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. And I better turn on the device. I just thought of that. The green light is not on. Thank you. That must mean it's not good for me to chew gum. (laughs) Thank you, brother, for that. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that wonderful to know? Prepared for us from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison? And came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, When saw we thee hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. 
And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Let's pray. Lord, bless the delivery of this, your message, to your people. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to move among the hearts of all the listeners. And Lord, bring it home to their heart where they might understand. And Father, where they might give glory unto you. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this was the fifth of the series on the Olivet Discourse that I had come up with a few years back when I was at New Albany. And it's an interesting one, and it's one that has been misunderstood as the passage we had this morning. Mainly because the application has been all these things that were done to the brethren, we as Christians should be doing today. While that is true, that we should be helping those of our brothers that need help, our main thrust is to get out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid that a lot of us are sorely lacking in that endeavor. It's good to do these things that Christ gives the commendation for. But again, this was for the Jews. This was for the Gentiles in this particular judgment. And you'll see how it ties together with the Jews as we go on with the message. But I want you to notice tonight that we have in this passage, and I'm sure most of you have seen this, number one, the king on his throne. Number two, we see the Gentiles. That's the sheep and the goats. And then the third group I want you to see tonight is my brethren. Jesus called him my brethren, my brothers his fellow Jews. So here we have the coming judgment on the Gentiles. I mentioned this morning that I wanted to share with you a passage in the Old Testament, which is a judgment on the Jews, because we looked at that this morning with the parable of the ten versions. So if you'll turn with me over to Ezekiel, Chapter 20, and verses 33 through 44, and I won't read all of them, but in 33 it says, As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out, Will I rule over you? And boy, will the fury be poured out during the tribulation time. And I will bring you out from the peoples and will gather you out of the countries in which you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there will I enter into judgment with you face 
to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I enter into judgment with you, saith the Lord God, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. You see, there's still covenants yet to be fulfilled. God has not forsaken his people. All you have to do in the New Testament is read Romans 11, and you'll see that very clearly. In verse 38, And I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So here we have in this passage another one that goes along with what we had this morning with the parable of the, of the ten virgins, because Israel will be, have to pass under the rod. They will be judged just like the judgment we've read here in Matthew 25. Only Matthew 25 is dealing with the Gentiles. The Jews will be judged as well. And those rebels will be sifted out, as he said. They will not enter into the millennial kingdom. It doesn't make any difference if they've survived through the tribulation. They will not go in to the millennial kingdom. The others will. The ones who were not the rebels. The ones who were faithful to listen to the servants that he sealed and saved. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So when the Lord returns in his glory, he's not going to judge only the nation Israel, but he's also going to judge the Gentiles. Now, let me ask you, how many here have ever been to Monument Valley? Can I see your hand? Okay, a couple of us have been there. Brother, do you remember the king on his throne? Yes. Isn't it wonderful to see that off in the distance in Monument Valley? It looks like the king sitting on the throne. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful view. And uh, I love Monument Valley. It's one of the most beautiful places. You say, well, man, it's nothing but rock and it's dry. But yeah, but it, it's still wonderful to see those rock formations. And by the way, if you ever go out there, Take one of the, the uh, trips to the back country that's offered by the Navajo tribes. We did that, and boy, what a joy that was. And you'll see things that you can't see on the drive that you're allowed to do. And by the way, you better have a, a vehicle that's in really good shape and great suspension because there's no paved roads there. You know, you're going up and down and bouncing around. So, but the king on his throne... And I'm, I'm anxious to see this picture here that's given us here in Matthew 25, the king on his throne. But he's going to be sitting on his throne in judgment. Now, this is not the same as the great white throne judgment. That involves only the unbelieving dead and which follows the millennium. And we'll see that later on. 
the judgment of the Gentiles occurs 1,000 years before the great white throne judgment. And that determines who will and who will not enter the millennial kingdom. All of us here tonight don't have to worry about it if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Because, as I said before, we're coming back with him. We're riding back with him, and we'll see that verse and those verses this evening as well. So throughout chapters 24 and 25, you know, I saw the examples that our Lord used to alert his people, the Jews, to the fact that they need to prepare for his coming. They are facing judgment. And this is certainly stressed for all mankind as well in the next few verses, the verses that we read. During the tribulation period, all nations and people will have the opportunity to hear and receive God's message. We looked at that this morning in chapter 24. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached among all nations, but some will reject God's messengers, Christ's brothers, and thereby reject Christ. The whole purpose of the Olivet Discourse is that those living during the tribulation period are moving towards judgment. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's going to take his rightful place on that earthly throne that we read about here in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33. Now, at the end of this discourse, we see finally that the people of the nations are being judged. That's the Gentiles. This is individual And individuals compose the nations and are responsible to God. The words here, the nations, is ethne. Sound familiar? Ethnic? It should be translated the Gentiles here in verse 32. These are all people other than Jews who have lived through the tribulation period. They will be judged individually, not as national groups. They are described as a mingling of what? Sheep and goats, (laughs) which the Lord will separate and judge as two distinct groups. Now the backdrop for the following verses that I'm going to deal with, is the 144,000 Jews who are sealed at the time of the Great Tribulation. And they're going to go out over the entire world to preach the gospel of the kingdom, which means to receive Christ as a sacrifice for their sins and to be ready for his immediate coming. Because he's coming. And they, they will have a, a short time. This is within a seven-year time frame during that tribulation period. Now, this is given to us in Revelation chapter 7. Turn over there with me, please. 
Revelation chapter 7. And he says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Sound familiar from this morning? Well, the one from this morning was at the end of the tribulation, and Christ was getting ready to come. This is the beginning of the tribulation. Holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I cried with a loud voice, to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, if you remember correctly, in Revelation 13, the beast and the false prophet are going to come up with a system where you have to have the mark of the beast either in your forehead or on your hand. This is the sealing of God's servants in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, have you ever looked at those tribes in this passage? Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000 of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000 so you have 12 tribes mentioned here and 12 times 12,000 equals 144,000 now do you ever wonder what happened to Dan Dan's not mentioned. Did you notice that? What about the tribe of Dan? And this has happened in several different places in Scripture where certain tribes are left out. There's a lot of conjecture on why Dan is not mentioned. Idolatry is one of them. During Jeroboam and the golden calf period. But I won't get into that. That's for another time. But also, did you notice that Joseph was mentioned and Ephraim is not? Manasseh was mentioned. So Manasseh and Ephraim were the children of Joseph. But Joseph is mentioned here. And I also noticed that of the ones that are mentioned... You know, Judah was of Leah. Reuben was of Leah. Gad was Zilpah. Asher was Zilpah. 
Naphtali was Bilhah, you know, the, the maidens that were given by both Rachel and Leah to Jacob. Manassas, we've already mentioned, son of firstborn of Joseph. Simeon, that's Leah. Levi is Leah. Issachar is Leah. Zebulun is Leah. Of course, Joseph would be Rachel. And so would Benjamin. Just interesting to note, you know, where they came from. Why is Levi mentioned? Why do I ask that? Did Levi have any a portion of land? Not like the other tribes, no. But Levi is mentioned here. Just interesting to see the, the, some of the differences in the scripture. And then in verse 9 he says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne. Now, where is this throne? Is this the same throne that we started looking at here in verses 31 and onward in chapter 25? No. This is the throne in heaven, the third heaven. And about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And look at verse 13. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they which come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. Now this happens obviously during the tribulation period. Somewhere during that seven-year period, they have been martyred. Notice what it says. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. These who have come out of the great tribulation, they've been martyred and were now safe in heaven. They were given the special privilege of being before God's throne and serving him day and night in his temple. Now somebody might think, well, wait a minute. I thought that 
nobody could get saved during the tribulation period. No, that's not true. Or they'll say, well, how about those who have received the gospel before going into the tribulation? Well, I can only answer from what I see in the scripture. And we see that God saves and seals 144,000 preachers to give the gospel of the kingdom. And obviously, many receive their word. That's why there's martyrs. And so, yes, there will be people getting saved and greatly getting saved during that tribulation period. They were protected by God himself, and never again will they experience hunger, thirst, or the scorching heat, you know, trying to escape in the desert. I mean, think of the things that they will have to go through, the things that they will experience here on earth during the tribulation period. They were under the special care of the Lamb and were drinking from the fountains of living water. And the passage ends there with the comforting truth that all their tears would be wiped away. That tells, we're told that again later in Revelation, by the way. You know, when the new heaven and the new earth come into existence. And I'm looking forward to that. You know, we think, man, I would have liked to have been there at creation. To have been like, you know, the sons of God, the angels that were created. And they saw the wonders of God when he made the other heavens and the earth. We're going to witness that. <laughs> think of that. We're going to see that. We've got some great things on the agenda that, to be experienced yet as Christians. Wonderful things. And then also in Revelation 14, if you'll turn there, starting at verse 1. And he says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, what's the significance of this? He saved and sealed in their foreheads. And here in Revelation 14, they stand with him on Mount Zion. How many were lost? <laughs> Doesn't look like any, does it? having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault 
before the throne of God. Wow. Wow. A new song that only they could sing. And they would have seen it all during that tribulation period. The persecution that they will be under will be great. But God will preserve them through it. Now during this time, during the tribulation period, some are going to reject Christ. Antichrist will have as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be put to death. Well, where do you get that? Well, turn over to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. And I want you to look at verse 11. It says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. He's a false Christ. That's who this is, the false prophet. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, I'll just tell you right now, and that'll be another message, but I don't believe he's assassinated. I don't believe he takes a head wound. I believe it's talking about the kingdom. And earlier it talks about, you know, heads. Well, I don't know about you, but I got one head. It's not a multiplicity. In verse 3, it says, And I saw one of his heads, plural, as though it were wounded to death. Okay, that's where I get that. And so it's going to be a great wonder for the world to see the revived Roman Empire back in existence. Can you imagine that? They're going to see it. And they're going to go through the hells of it. In verse 13, he does great wonders that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast that had the wound by a sword and did live. And he has power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. There's a price to be paid during the tribulation period to name the name of Christ. A heavy price. You know, it meant something in the early days of the church to be baptized. You know that? When they were baptized, they were ostracized from their own families. A lot of them lost their jobs. It meant something. It's not like today. And it's going to be like this for these people who come to Christ during the tribulation period. There will be great persecution and great suffering. And some will be martyred. 
as we've already seen. All who would give them a cup of cold water are going to do so at the risk of their life. Just to hand out a cup of cold water. Now in our day, brother, thank you again. It's no big deal, right? But in the tribulation, it's going to have tremendous meaning. Because it's going to reveal the person or person's position for Jesus Christ. It's going to show that they stood for him. This is the basis on which they will be judged. Did they accept or reject Jesus Christ? Just like us today. But even more so. Just like James said, you know. Show me your works by, or your faith by your works. Do we have them? Are we showing them before others today? These will be, and what a consequence it will be when they are caught doing that. In verses 25, or 34 through 40 in Matthew 25, Again, we see the king on his throne. And this king on his throne is going to extend an invitation to those on his right hand. In other words, the sheep to enter the kingdom of God that he had prepared since the creation or the foundation of the world. He says, inasmuch as you have done it, unto one of the least of these my brothers. You've done it to me. Because the messengers, the 144,000, were representing Christ. That will be the way that they will evidence faith in the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that they are to repent and turn to Christ to be saved. The basis of their entrance is seen in their actions, for they provided food for these who are being chased and persecuted. Drink, clothing, and care for the king, because it's the king's servants, his brothers. The king's statement will prompt the sheep to respond, as we'd already read, that they don't recall ever having done this directly to the king. But that's the way the king takes it. The king will answer that they performed these services for the least of these, my brothers, and by doing so, you were ministering to me. He takes their actions personally. And that says something to us today. Let us never forget that. That what we do in the body of Christ, he takes personally. And there will be a judgment for rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Let's not lose any of those rewards that you've already gained in this life. 
Keep on with the Lord. Keep on in the work. It's like J. Vernon McGee said once. He said, you know, the work of the church is to sow seed. He says, how's business? You out there sowing the seed? Get out the word. It's not what you so much that you're, how do I do that? You know, how do I witness to people? All you got to do is just tell them what Christ has already done for you. They'll understand that. It comes from the heart. Just tell them what Christ has done for you. Now, these, this expression, these brothers, refers to the third group. That is neither the sheep or goats. And so this only possible group could be Jews, physical brothers of Jesus Christ. From what we have looked at previously in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, it is clear that any believing Jew will have a difficult time surviving. Why do I say that? Again, turn over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. I just got done teaching a study over several months on hell. You know, you know that hell in the scriptures, there's different Hebrew words and Greek words that are used. In the Old Testament, you've got Sheol, and that can mean the grave, or that can mean the place where the departed go. It can mean a pit. Then you go into the New Testament, and you've got Hades, and you've got Hades also used as the grave, but Hades is the place of the departed that, have, that went in the Old Testament times. Now, two groups go there that I believe. I believe there was the place of torments and the place of Abraham's bosom or paradise. That's not there anymore. After Christ ascended, he, he emptied that and took them to heaven with him. And that's why the scripture says today for us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But it's an interesting study on hell and the different words that were used. But look here in Revelation 12. And one of the things that we got to talking about in our study was how many angels were created? Well, we're not told. But we know that at their creation, that was it. Angels don't reproduce. It's a finite number. How many rebelled against God in heaven? We know that Lucifer did, and he also got the fallen angels to go with him. Well, look at verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. So we know that one-third 
of all the created angels rebelled against God. Now, I have suffered physically since August when I started that study. And I believe it was a struggle with Satan. Satan didn't like what I was telling people. And I'm here to tell you, I'm still fighting, I'm still swinging. He had a place of honor and privilege. He was the anointed cherub who defended the throne of God. And yet he looked at it as being nothing. I will ascend, he said. I will be greater than the Most High. No, he lost all that he had. He rejected the light and he chose darkness. And I don't want to get too far off here because the hour's getting late. But verse 7, we're told that there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. And I believe that this is talking about this time during the tribulation period, which would be the halfway point when this takes place. And so he fought the dragon and his angels. And who didn't prevail? Well, the dragon and his angels. There was, they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Now, I believe this is not talking about the third heaven because they've already been cast out from there. I'm talking about space, the second heaven, the sky. And where were they cast? They were cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Drop down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Woe! And of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. When this takes place, he'll have three and a half years to do the worst that he can do. That's what's coming. And so the forces of the world dictator will be doing everything possible to exterminate all the Jews. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, <laughs> which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. A Gentile going out of his way to assist a Jew during the tribulation will mean that that Gentile has become a believer in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Because his life will be forfeit if he's caught. It's going to mean something. By such a stand in action, a believing Gentile puts his life in jeopardy. His works will not save him, but his works reveal that he has been redeemed. Verses 41 through 46. We see 
the goats on his left hand, and the king pronounces judgment. They will be told, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why the lake of fire was created, for the devil and his angels. So why does any man want to go there? Anyone who has a chance to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, they don't have to go there. And I want you to know that this is in the present tense here. Why do I bring that up? Because it happens at that time, immediately. Depart. They're going to depart. And it carries with it, again, the idea that they will be executed. How? Notice that this place of eternal fire Again, is not prepared for men, but for the devil and his angels. There's no salvation for the devil and his angels. When he sinned against God, rebelled, he was done. Their eternal state is already done. It's sure. Salvation was only provided for Adam's race. No descendant of Adam, no human being, needs to go to this place. God provided for the judgment of man's sin, where? At the cross, through the death of Jesus Christ. Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And God accepted Christ's sacrifice. And how do we know that? By raising him from the dead. In Romans 4, 5, it says, Paul the Apostle is saying of Christ, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Christ's resurrection is the proof of God's acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice. And because of that fact, God is free to forgive those who respond in faith in that provision of Jesus Christ. The basis of the judgment of the goats is due to their failure of extending mercy to the remnant of the Jewish believers during the tribulation. Their action of unconcern for these brothers reveals their unbelief of God's extended mercy to them. Therefore, they have no hope and will be without God. Forever. These individuals will be sympathizers with the world dictator and they'll support his agenda. They will be removed from the earth and be cast into eternal fire. And I want you to know that's in the future tense. To undergo eternal punishment. When? How are they removed from the earth? Look over in Matthew 25, verses 48. Excuse me, 24. Matthew 24, verses 48 through 51. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. 
and shall cut him asunder, cuts him in two, and appoints him his portion with the hypocrites. And I told you this morning, the word there for hypocrites is pretenders. They're pretenders. The masks come off when Christ returns to the earth. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will be executed. Their soul will go to Hades. Hades is still there for the unsaved. How do I know that? Turn with me to Revelation 19. We're heading down the home stretch now. I'm no, I know I'm going a little long, but bear with me. Revelation 19, verses 19 through 21. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And verse 21, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. It ties in with what we just looked at back there in Matthew with the evil servant. Now, look at verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Who do you think went in there with him? Where Satan gets bound during this time, the fallen angels are bound with him. We don't have it specifically told us in the scriptures, but I think we can make fair assumption here that they are chained up as well. After all, they are his servants, and he's chained up there. They can do nothing anyway. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now that's important. Keep this in mind, because I want to ask you a question when we close. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's us, brothers and sisters. We're going to reign with Christ a thousand years. Hard to believe, but that's what the Word of God tells us. But verse 4, also those who were martyred, the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the Word of God, and who didn't worship the beast or his image, and didn't receive his mark, they also 
will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Well, what about the Old Testament saints? They also will be raised at this time, at the beginning of the millennium, at the end of the tribulation period, going into the millennium, the Old Testament saints will take their lot. That's the way it talks about it in Daniel chapter 12. Look it up when you get a chance, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Then verses 7 through 10. Satan's loosed. And he deceives again, and there's another rebellion. I mean, can you believe it? We're going to do this again? <laughs> but it's not going to be protracted like it will be during the tribulation period. Because what happens? Fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. And then in verse 10 it says, And the devil that deceived them is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. I know that's italicized. But the truth remains, they're still there. They're not destroyed. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we see verse 11, the great white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whom the face of the earth and heaven fled away, it says, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in, it, in them. Think all the way back to the flood. They're going to be raised again. They've been in Hades all this time. They're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And they were judged every man according to their works. And verse 14, death and hell, it says, but it's the Greek word Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Don't you love the way that Scripture answers all our questions? How it dovetails together? How you can see that judgment in Matthew 25 is the judgment to see who goes into the millennium and who doesn't, who will be executed. And then there's the great white throne a thousand years later. After these judgments, the judgment of Matthew 25, the millennial kingdom, begins. And as we've read here, Satan will be bound. And the world system will be destroyed. I love that. The world system's going to be destroyed. Daniel talked about that. You know, the, the stone cut out of the mountain without hands that falls on the image of the beast and it hits the feet and the whole thing crumbles and the wind comes and carries it all away. They have no part in the millennium. They have no part in the righteousness kingdom that Christ brings to the earth. It couldn't be. It couldn't happen. The world system will be destroyed, never to rise again. 
Evil people will be removed in the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Only saved individuals in physical bodies will enter into the earthly kingdom as the king's subjects. We're going to reign with him as his servants. We're going to help in the administration. Glorified saints from the Old Testament times and the church, the bride of Christ, will be present to share in the reign of the King of Kings. It's going to be a glorious beginning. But there's more to be told at another time. Well, this answers the questions we started with today with this parable of the ten virgins and with the judgment of the Gentiles. We're in good hands tonight because we're in God's hands. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word, the power of it, the meaning of it, the truths of it, Lord, to see what is yet before us. And there are some great things that is before us, your church, your people who belong to the church, who have received Jesus Christ as Savior. And we so look forward to that coming, Lord, as we see the world today, it's lost its senses. Father, there's even persecution in the churches around the world tonight. And Lord, we know that they have bad designs for us here in our own country. And Father, we just beseech you and look forward to you. We know that you will sustain us no matter what befalls us, that we will always be with you. And we can't thank you enough for that, Lord. And so, Father, now we ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.